So this morning we're going to read Matthew 20, 25 through 28, and then 21, 6 through 16. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. When Jesus entered the temple, then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry with him and said, Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read, Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself? This is the word of the Lord. There are two gates entering Jerusalem, and all kinds of people were entering the city through both gates. Jews streamed into the city to make preparations. The sellers of oil and of flour worked long hours to serve everyone who needed supplies. Rooms were rented, animals were borrowed or bought. Everyone was getting ready for the Passover. The festival is this crucial part of the story of the people of God. It celebrates the people's freedom that God provided from an empire of oppression and slavery. It is maybe dark humor that at that very moment, Roman soldiers marched toward the western gate of the city. Tensions were high. Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, was not only their motto, but a lie. As the Roman Empire expanded, 
They invaded and took over territories with force and violence. Tensions were indeed high. And it was not just because the people were celebrating God freeing them from oppression right in the middle of another occupation. And it wasn't just because the Romans feared the great crowds of Jews who were streaming into the city to celebrate freedom from oppression in this all-important city. But it was because with these two things combined, if violence were to break out, this is where and when it happens. So the empire sent reinforcements. Coming from Rome and from the port that they would have entered, they would have entered through the western gate of the city, marching in a parade of military triumph, Colors, flags, white horses, pomp and circumstance, the red carpet treatment for the few elites that ruled and the soldiers who had the gun power. They marched in formation to make a grand entrance because they wanted to scare off anyone who dared rebel against the power of Rome. The Romans held the power. And this was the right time to make a spectacle of that power, so, just so the people could see it. Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, looked a whole lot like this. Gun power, horse power, political power, and a lack of peace in a city on edge. On the other side of Jerusalem, way outside her gates, Jesus and his disciples walked. They too were headed to the festival. They too would need provisions and a place to stay and a room to eat the Passover in. But Jesus had other plans too. And I'm not sure that the disciples wouldn't have tried to talk him out of some of his other plans had they known what they were, the way that he wanted to do it. But Jesus had already told the disciples the big picture. He had told it to them plainly that Jesus was about to be put to death by the Jewish leaders, the chief, the chief priests, and the scribes. Now, I don't know if the disciples thought that Jesus was just, like, preparing them in the case that he died in battle, or if they really thought that they were just about to come into power, and so they didn't hear really what Jesus had told to them. In either case, they didn't seem to get it. They didn't seem to understand what he had told them plainly. And apparently, the disciples' moms didn't get the hint either. Because there on the way, they were interrupted by James and John's mom, who knelt before Jesus. She knows, like the disciples do, that it's about to go down. They are headed to Jerusalem for the Passover. If anything's going to happen, this is the time and the place. So she says to Jesus, Declare that these two sons of mine will sit at your right and your left hand in your kingdom. She had some political ambition for her boys. When Jesus enters Jerusalem, his power as a prophet as an honored prophet, the one whom the prophet John spoke about who would come after him. This 
whole scenario seemed to indicate only one thing, political change. And she knew, like they did, that if violence were to break out, this is where and when it would happen. Jesus was entering Jerusalem, they thought, to set the people free once again with a mighty arm on behalf of God from the powers of false Roman peace. Jesus was entering to fulfill the prophecies. Jesus had already preached and said, even from the synagogue in Nazareth, that this was in fact the year of Jubilee, that this was the time that the kingdom God had been prophesied about and that had been hoped for was at hand. In fact, everywhere Jesus went, he said this same message, the kingdom of God is at hand. And for the people dominated by a violent empire, this lasting peace, this piece of their own making, this political activism was all too tempting. After all the losses, after the violence of empire, something had to change. Jesus responds to the mom of the bunch. You don't know what you're asking. And anyway, it's not mine to give. The rest of the disciples are immediately become angry at James and John as they continued on toward the eastern gate of Jerusalem. So Jesus takes this moment of conflict as a teaching moment, as he does. You know, he says, that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are like tyrants over them. He's speaking of Rome, of course. It will not be so among you, he continues. Whoever wishes to be great among you must become your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Slave? Come on, Jesus. That's what we are celebrating that we are not anymore. That's why we're doing this whole parade and song and dance. We aren't slaves to an empire anymore. And these Roman oppressors are no match for you and God and all the people. God's, you are God's chosen one. And you are this holy one in this line of David. We believe and, and you have fulfilled every prophecy right in front of our eyes. But Jesus is still talking. He's saying, just as the Son of Man came not only came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's ironic, I think, that they likely arrived at the same time, on opposite gates of the city. It's certainly a political stunt, but it's hard to say who orchestrated it or why. But you might have your suspicions. It's like, geographically, you can only join one of the two welcoming parties, one of the two parades. You can welcome the powerful oppressors on one side of the city or this unlikely prophet from Nazareth on the other. One side had gunpowder and horsepower and power power, and the other rides a donkey 
as he did in utero, a pack animal, not a powerful one. This is the part I think the, the disciples probably would raise an eyebrow at. On one side of the city, you can see the, the power and the fear of Rome in neat little lines marching. On the other, you see the scrappiness of grassroots rebels who are aching for any hope. The people who have chosen this parade over the other one yell, Save us! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a political move to the max. The people, in their desire to welcome this person who they think will throw off their oppressor, are anxious to be a part of this movement, this change in any possible way. So they take off their cloaks and they spread them on the red carpetless dirt road. They climb into the trees and they cut down the branches and put them on the path to welcome this person who they hope will soon be their new king. Save us, they yell in Aramaic. Hosanna, Hosanna, it sounds. But Jesus hasn't come to save them. Not in the way they think. They think that if violence is to break out, this is where and when it happens. But Jesus has not come with a display of violence or political power or even protection. Jesus rather makes his first act in Jerusalem an act of protest. And it's not even against Rome, but against Jewish worship. He goes to the temple and he overthrows the tables of those who are selling, the dealers. Jesus goes into the temple, clears out the temple, and it is suddenly filled with the blind and the lame who Jesus heals. Jesus' first act once he enters Jerusalem is to restore true worship of God. It's an act of renunciation of greed and financial oppression by religious leaders. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Meanwhile, the kids run around with the, my, the, the song stuck in their head from earlier in the day. Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. And it's only now that the children are crying out and the chief priests and the elders see Jesus and hear the children that they get angry. Only now do they consider Jesus' actions. Do you hear what the children are saying, they ask him? And I can almost hear the sarcasm in Jesus' voice. It comes through pretty strong in, in, in RSV. Well, yeah. <laughs> Haven't you heard what your own scriptures say about children and worship and that it's through babies that God gets praise? Jesus went out of the city to spend the night. Probably a good idea considering all that he stirred up. But one line sticks out for, to me from this narrative. The whole city 
was in turmoil. If violence were to break out, this is where and when it happens. As God walks with us incarnate throughout the year, we have this unique opportunity to walk with Jesus through Holy Week, his last week on earth. And in this week leading up to Easter, we have this opportunity to take on the sights and the sounds and the sirens that accosted our Lord and Savior on his final week before his death. There is no doubt that the city of Jerusalem was in turmoil, thick with anticipation, and charged with grief. And today, this context is not too hard to understand for us because of this week. We live in a city thick with anticipation, charged with grief. A city who has faced violence, for whom violence is not far off, but it knocks at our doors. It creeps into our thoughts, and it terrorizes our children. From one person to the next, our hopes and fears and expectations and experiences are all on some spectrum of alarm, action, anticipation, upset. Some of us find ourselves marveling at the shiny uniforms and the straight lines of Rome, intimidated into submission by the sheer force of power our empire wields. Others stand on the other side of the city, hoping beyond hope that this leader will be the one to usher in change. A new rule, a new law that perhaps will save us. Save us, we cry, even today as we watch in horror at the news of another school shooting Save us, we cry, as our thoughts and prayers are given, but change is withheld. Save us, we cry, as we march on the Capitol, where our representatives are caught up in politicking, while our teachers and our children are caught up in fear and lockdown drills and active shooters. Save us, we cry, as another parent grieves the loss of their child to senseless violence. Save us, we cry, as another child faces the loss, unnecessary loss of their parent to senseless violence. Save us, we cry, as another young person dies in the street from the same weapon that they took up. Save us, because our laws cannot save the heart cannot contain heart and spirit, and they are but empty words. They don't cause true growth. Save us, we cry, as the empire marches forward, irregardless, despite our oppression, despite the will of the people, despite it all, power and money run circles around common sense. Human dignity, rights, and political activism, save us, we cry, as we become pawns in a huge game of war and wealth, arms dealers and autocrats. Save us 
from illness, disease, death, destruction, addiction, abuse, and oppression. Jesus, we saw what you did. You raised the dead. You cured illnesses. You subverted the empire. You resisted the powers. You confronted those slippery snakes of leaders. Save us now. We still cry. But Jesus doesn't get distracted by the way that we want to be saved. Jesus knows what he's doing. Talking to his disciples about being servants and slaves, riding a donkey into the city, that was just the warm-up act. He's going to wash the disciples' feet. He's going to allow a disciple to betray him. He's going to surrender when attacked. He's going to heal the enemy when Peter cuts off his ear. He's not going to live by the sword or the semi-automatic weapon of the empire. And his message to the disciples is clear. He doesn't say, take up your arms and follow me. He says, take up your cross. He doesn't say, let's overthrow the empire. He says, this is the way, as he washes his disciples' feet. I am the way, he says in the Gospel of John. And I've been so stuck on that this week, that Jesus is both the way and the truth. And that the way and the truth added together somehow equal life. Because it seems to me like there are those who want to tell the truth, but that sometimes the only way they know how is through violence. And that there are those who want to do things the right way, but they are nervous to tell the truth. And that Jesus is both the way and the truth. Jesus shows us the way. Jesus shows his disciples the way. If there was a time for violence, Jesus had every opportunity to take it. He had every opportunity. He had the 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 people, the power, the will, but he never took it. It wasn't it was not the way and violence is still not God's way. If we are to see through Jesus's eyes and walk in Jesus's shoes through Holy Week, if we are to tap into Jesus's feelings and his hopes and his fears, then I think that we would see that Jesus is seeing us where we are. The moms who think their sons need a little help. The leaders who are just trying to hold on to what they have. The crowd who is crying, save us. I think Jesus must have been sad because he knew that he could not be what they wanted him to be. And that even if he could, that it would not save them. Because empire replaces empire, replaces empire. We're watching The Mandalorian and I'm having a hard time connecting the dots, but it's the empire and then the republic and then the new republic. Okay. Jesus had to show them the truth 
of God's kingdom. That's why he came. Because violence won't save us. Doesn't save us, and it never will. He had to show them the way. A way of resistance that maintains its soul. A way of resistance that doesn't become the evil that it resists. I always think of that scene in The Hunger Games. Who's seen The Hunger Games? Yeah, two of you have, so. Three, okay. Where Katniss is supposed to be killing President Snow, and she turns and kills the rebel leader instead because she knows empire replaces empire, and we become that which we hate when we use the same way. True power, Jesus' life tells us, is not having a lack of empire or of slavery. Because Jesus comes right in the middle of both of those things. But Jesus shows us power, real power, is actually the ability to take up the basin and the towel and the cross. And to join an upside-down kingdom where the way we do things matters as much as the truth. In the midst of slavery and empires that surround us, the way matters as much as the truth. The kingdom of God is not advanced through fighting our enemies but by loving them. And that's the way of the kingdom of God. That's it. (laughs) That God loves us. It's so simple. (laughs) And yet, we live in the midst of a city and a world that is so lacking of that message incarnate. And we are God's hands and feet. We are God's hands and feet. We are God's body and we must tell them. We must tell them. We must preach this gospel of peace. Sometimes maybe with our words, but always. Not empire peace. Not false peace. Hope for a future. No matter what way we do it now. But Jesus' peace, not conquering, but serving, not killing, but healing. Because God loves everyone. And that's the message we are entrusted with. And that is the good news. There are two gates to go into Jerusalem. Two parades are happening on this momentous day. And you can choose the lies of false peace of the empire, or or you can welcome our unusual, strange, unconventional Prince of Peace. 
with palm branches and cloaks on the road. The way matters. The way matters. The way the world has changed matters. Let's pray. God, may you give us the heart of a disciple to follow in your footsteps, to see what you did. May we become little Christs as we make our way, as we speak the truth. May our resistance be patterned after your life. May our love flow from the source of your love. May you heal any part of us that is holding on to hate. May you heal our city. Though we know there is a long path, though we know this will not be the last time, we pray that your will would be done and your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And as we go, enable us to be your hands and your feet and your mouth and proclaim the way and the truth of the kingdom of God. May this city and your people be healed and made whole. May the empire of today be subverted. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.